0: Good morning everyone and God said let there be light. There we go. Cool. Good morning. So my name is Dylan. I get the privilege of preaching this morning but before we do that just a couple of things. So um, that, that video is essentially just an update from Rob and the team. They're in Sri Lanka at the moment and they're doing the annual bike trip and as fun and exhilarating as it has been as we've seen from the video, uh, Rob did mention that he had a small little fall. He'll say it's a small fall but it was quite a serious fall but he's all okay. He was back on the bike the next three hours and he preached apparently. One of the best sermons on the trip um, glory to the Lord, you know, but it just reminds us of this adventure that we're on for the gospel it is not always as safe as we sometimes think it will be in terms of comfortableness that actually there is this radical edge to um, being on kingdom mission and uh, it is wonderful to hear the reports from what's taking place in Sri Lanka. Rob is preaching this morning. He's baptizing people and then he's heading off to go preach somewhere and then they're driving to go and fly out tonight. So if you ever go on a trip with Rob, do know that no time is wasted and that they use every second of the trip. Secondly from me is uh, you, will, you might have noticed if you have a teenager, last week we were in the desert with 100 teenagers Some of them from Cornerstone Youth in Abu Dhabi and some of them from City Lights. And there's quite a partnership between us three churches and we camped out in the desert on Friday nights. And the whole point was understanding the hope that we can have in Christ when we're stranded obviously, being in the desert. It was amazing. I knew that no one was going to get any sleep. So at 1.30 in the morning, I pulled an MIA and I went to pray in my car with Jesus. And I stopped praying at about 6.30 when everybody else was still awake. But it was a really good time. And the reason I say that is because if you have um, a teenager and they're not involved in our youth, really, I do believe that God is doing something new in our teenagers. He's raising up a generation that is not going to be labeled... Christian on paper, but actually are going to be radically transformed by the grace of Christ. And so please, if you have a teen, um, do come and chat to me afterwards. But this morning, we are going to continue our Created to Worship series. And this morning, if you're with us for the first time, we have been unpacking what does it mean that we are created to worship God. In the first two weeks, Rob taught us that worship is to ascribe to God the glory that is due His name. That worship is ascribing to God, pointing to God, giving God the glory that is due His name. And that for us as His creation, if we are going to discover and experience any truly satisfying sense of identity, it must and can only flow from the source of life, the one true God. And then last week, Noel preached quite wonderfully that God has drawn a clear line between worshiping Him and false idols. We saw that false idols, such as other religions and practices, are actually fronts for the demonic forces of Satan to disrupt our worship in God and to wreak havoc in our lives. If you remember last week, Noel taught that God is a jealous God, rightfully jealous. And by worshipping man-made constructs, false religion, we are taking the glory that is due to God's name and we are giving it to created things. So that's where we have gone in the series. Today, we're going to look at what we believe to be the most dangerous form of idolatry. It's buried so deep into our bones that it's easily misunderstood and relabeled. it's easily overlooked, this idol is not made of wood or stone, it's not even success or sex or money or power, it's more entrenched, it's hidden, it's tucked deep into the dark corners of our hearts, but it's whispered to on a daily basis. Behind the invisible curtain of our hearts is the idol of self. In Genesis 3, we're going to read about the moment Satan tempts Adam and Eve and sin enters into the world. And if we pay close attention, we are going to see the idol of self in the story. From Genesis 3 verses 1. The sinful and deeply rooted human desire to rule themselves. Satan targets mankind's sinful desire to be God. Friends, when you and I get up in the morning and we brush our teeth and we look into the mirror, the person standing on the other end of that reflection has the potential to be the most dangerous idol in each of our lives. Why do I say that? Because the idol of self is so silently dangerous, not because it's our human desire to have something, but it comes from a deeper human desire to be something. It's not about fame or money or power in grabbing those things, but it's about becoming. It's about being something and someone that we are not created to be. Like we've just seen in Genesis, the idol of self is the desire to be free and autonomous. Like Eve shows us, it's the desire to be gods of our own lives. The idol of self wants to be free. No one must tell me who I should be. The idol of self is all about me. Matthew Roberts, he writes this in his book, Pride, Identity, and the Worship of Self. He says, with the rise of the free self, the free self, essentially the person who does whatever they want and is not restricted by anybody else's limitations. With the rise of the free self as the most famous idol of the West, the identity-defining effect has taken a somewhat different form. The freedom of the individual to follow his or her own desires To construct his or her own person becomes their God and therefore what I want to do my desires and passions becomes not merely an important part of my experience but it is definitive of my very person the desires of the self has come to define us doing what I want is really being me what I want is who I really am my desires define me they are My identity. What Roberts is saying is that the world has evolved, society has evolved into this culture where it is all about becoming who I am means giving into what I want. To be me is to follow all the desires that I have. The idol of self is devoted to itself. And if anyone or anything gets in the way of me having what I really want, then they are actually stopping me from being who I am supposed to be. Do you see how dangerous the idol of self is? The idol of self is a form of idolatry that is custom-built on producing more and more and more of itself. The only thing that satisfies the idol of self is the unwavering, ongoing pursuit of more of itself. More self centered gain, more self centered glory, more of what pleases itself. I want this, so I'll eat that. I want to eat this right now, so I'll have as much of it as I want. I want to earn this, and so I will do that. I want to make a difference in the world so that I can feel good. This never ending cycle of pleasing oneself. And even the voice of the world today is feeding the idol of self. What does the world say? The more you follow your heart, the more you do what you want to do, the more you just don't listen to your head and listen to your heart, the more you will be who you are supposed to be. And you see, this seems so innocent. Because the idol of self is relabeled into things that appear innocent. Political freedom, self-worth, self-promotion, the pursuit of happiness, follow your heart are all labels that camouflage the idol of self. If you know celebrity Paula Abdul, she's one of the main judges for idols, even the name idol should give you a sign. But celebrity Paul, celebrity Paul Abdul tells millions, break the rules, stand apart, ignore your head, and follow your heart. Even Princess Diana, as much as the world loves her, says, don't listen to your head, listen to your heart. These are the words that camouflage the idol of self and makes it appear innocent because we want to believe the natural desires of my heart are good. Because it's natural. If my desires come from my heart, they must be good. If my feelings are naturally rising from within me, why is that such a bad thing? If what I want is about me and not about somebody else, why is it such a bad thing to give into the desires of my heart? And when we ask that question, the world would say, that's innocent. That's fine. Be who you are. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart and don't follow your head. But the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? From the beginning... Mankind decided to give into following the heart. And it's wreaked havoc ever since. Following the heart distorted man's relationship with God. And put us out of God's intended plan for our lives. And not just then, but even today. Today, doctors are playing God by performing transgender surgeries because someone feels in their heart... I I think I should be a woman. I think I should be a man. We see nations are rising against one another because one nation believes what they want is the right thing. I watched this thing. It honestly terrified me at how dangerous the idol of self is. This woman had grown up thinking she was supposed to be blind her whole life. So she poured drain cleaner into her eyes and blinded herself never to recover her sight again. Because she believed she was born to be blind. When mankind worships itself, when mankind follows the desires of the heart, horrible perversions take place. We're not created to be gods, we're not created to worship ourselves. We have been created, friends, with one sole purpose of worshiping the Creator. We have not been created to follow our hearts. We have not been created to give in to our human desires. We have been created to put aside those desires and worship God, the one true God, the source of all life. As we understand that we are created to worship, if we are going to fully grasp that we are not created to worship, we have to cancel the culture of me. That's what the world says. This is 21st century. It's the culture of me. It's all about me. Everything you watch on Netflix, Love is Blind, Love Island, all those things that gives into this idea that it's all about you. If we are going to grasp the concept that we are created to worship God alone, it cannot coexist with the culture of me. You see, the culture of me, the idol of self, has damaging effects on mankind, as we've seen. But how's this? In 1966, Philip Reif spoke about the rise of the therapeutic man who lives only for his personal well-being. And he predicted, in 1966, he wrote this, Religion would not disappear in the future, but would be pressed into the service of the therapeutic man who desires to be pleased rather than to be saved. Religion would therefore not focus on the right doctrine, but on doctrines that amount to permission for people to live as they please. Over 50 years ago. And we can see it is true today. Churches are softening doctrine to give people permission to live the lives that they want to live and not obey Scripture, just so they can keep people in church. Yet they have not come to a saving relationship with Christ. Teenagers are growing up in Christian homes believing that God is their well-being spiritual guru. He's only there for my well-being. Teenagers are growing up thinking that God is like my Amazon account. I place an order and I only revisit it once the delivery is late, not knowing that God actually is my creator. The culture of me... Or the idol of self will happily serve a God who doesn't make any demands on my personal life. The idol of self is happy to come to church on a Sunday, happy to go to small group in the middle of the week, as long as it doesn't infringe on what I really want. I won't lie, when it was raining this morning, I was thinking, how many people are going to decide not to come to church today? Well done, you guys have done amazing. (laughs) But that's what the idol of self believes I can follow anything as long as it doesn't tell me how to live my life. When the church adopts the therapeutic please me mindset and tries to translate the gospel into pleasing men and women, it loses the essence of the gospel. When the church just tries to sit and please all the needs and wants and desires of human beings, it is not fulfilling its role as the church. Well of life, we will never be a church that just preaches to please our desires. We will be a church that preaches the word of God and trusts that the word of God transforms us more into the image of Christ. All the data today reveals the more we pursue our own desires and happiness, it will not actually lead us to such happiness There's a lady by the name of Elizabeth Lask, and she wrote in 2006, she says, we embrace a gospel of personal happiness. The gospel that we tend to believe is all about my personal happiness. And it's defined as the ongoing pursuit of impulse. As I am impulsed to feel something, I want that. And she says, even though we do that, we remain profoundly unhappy i'm going to hit you with two more quotes jean twenge that is the right way to say her surname i researched it and i practiced it she's an american psychologist who researches the difference between generations and what she finds out she writes a book called generation me and generation me has an amazing subtitle this is the subtitle of her book today's americans are more confident assertive and entitled yet they are more miserable than ever And as she unpacks the difference of generations, this is what she writes. She reports on data which indicates that the rise of depression, suicide and anxiety have all increased dramatically amongst young Americans of the last decade. And she points out that the rise in anxiety and the rise in suicide and the rise in depression has coincided with the rise of self-entitlement. Self-interest, self-pleasure, self-centered attitudes, all about me. She says, if giving free rein to our desires is supposed to make us happy, it has not succeeded. And last quote, even Jim Carrey, who I don't think is a believer, says, I wish that everybody could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. When my life is all about me, my desires, my personal happiness, yet we are still profoundly unhappy, we come to the grave conclusion that we will be disappointed because we are not created to worship ourselves. If you leave today, with one thing in your mind. It's that you're not created to worship yourself. And I know what we're thinking. I don't worship myself, Dylan, but I know my cousin or my neighbor or I know somebody else. But I don't worship myself. I'm not that selfish. I'm not that self-centered. Let me ask you a question. When you're hanging with your friends and you take a group photo, who is the first person you look for When you look in the photo. And if you look good, you say, oh, that's a good photo. That's fine. We're going to keep that photo. But if it's a bad photo, you say, no, no, no. Let's retake the photo. Everybody come back. Let's retake the photo. And I use that as a silly silly example to show us that in all of us, in all of us, there is a measure. There is a part of us that seeks our own glory. In all of us is the idol of self. An idol is anything that successfully competes with our love and our devotion to God. Anything. So not just things, but me. When what I want is more important than obeying God, my friend, that is a sign that you have made yourself an idol. When I choose to skip past the scriptures that tell me how to live my life and only focus on the nice things of the gospel, being or putting away all those things that tell me how to live, I have decided to rule myself. I have decided that I know what I want and I don't want that. When what I want is elevated above being obedient to God, we have made ourselves idols. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we've lost sight of who we were created to be. But the idol of self, it doesn't just give itself expression in the the desires of oneself or the pursuit of of desires. It's also seen in our self-reliance. Not just in our desires, but in our self-reliance is a form of worshipping oneself. This brings us to point number two, self-reliance versus self-reliance surrender if we want to see an example in scripture of someone who is self-reliant we look no further than the Pharisees in the New Testament if we take a look at them they were the religious leaders during Jesus' time and what we learn about these guys is that they were heavily reliant on their moral ability to to keep the laws they were moralistic and proud of their good behavior they trusted in their own ability to be made right with God and they received immense satisfaction in being self-righteous. The Pharisee was so self-reliant that they felt that I don't need anybody else to do this. I don't need God. My effort, my strength, what I bring to the table is enough. I am self-reliant on my own righteousness to stand before God. They are the epitome of someone who trusts in their own strength to be right with God. And Martin Luther explains to us that self-reliance is not just dangerous when it comes to our salvation, but it's also dangerous when it comes to the providence of God. Because the self-reliant Pharisee believes that my hands provide everything that I need. God doesn't have really a part to play in that. But what Martin Luther explains is that the self-righteousness is not only an issue for salvation, but it must be understood for God's provision for our earthly things also takes place without any merit of our worthiness or our effort. We go to work and think, I have earned everything that I have. It's because of me that I have what I have. And Luther is saying, actually... When we understand that we are created to worship and that everything flows from the living and true God, none of us can take credit for any of the temporary things, but we must continuously receive them as God's gifts on our lives. And this is difficult for the self reliant Pharisee, because self reliance acts as if the world is being held up by my strength and my shoulders. And friends, this is not just the Pharisees, but it's us too. We do this. We turn ourselves into idols by thinking that by our efforts and clever ideas, we can secure all the things that we need for this life. When we do this, we are making our strength our God and not trusting in the provision that comes from the Father. Self-reliance says, I'm good i got this. I don't need anybody to help me. Like I know I've got stuff wrong, but I'm going to fix it. Like I know there's stuff wrong in my marriage, but I'm going to fix it. I know that I've got to figure this thing out at work. I know that I'm not a good Christian, but it's fine. I'm going to fix it. The self-reliant idol of self says, no one can help me because I know that I have what it takes. I don't need help. And it's not just in Christians that we see self-reliance. This is the dilemma of atheist belief. Atheists say, I don't need God. I can take care of it all on my own. I'll fix this on my own. I don't need a supreme being, greater than I, to help me. Because I've got it. I know I'm sinful. I know I make mistakes. But I will account for myself. Self-reliance is so dangerous. Because it makes us feel good when we achieve these things. It makes us feel good that we've acquired wealth. It makes us feel clever that our hands have accumulated all the things that we have. But when we are trusting in our works, we are seizing God's glory for ourselves. When I trust in my own works, when I trust in my own self-righteousness, when I see that everything I have is because of me, I have seized God's glory and stolen it for myself and I'm not created to glorify myself. Doing a good job, earning money, and being able to endure tough times are good things. But who gets the glory when the commission check comes? Who gets the glory when you've done a good job? Who gets the glory when you've done something amazing? When you've endured a hard season? When your marriage is restored, when your children have stepped out of sin and into the freedom of Christ, when you purchase a beautiful car, who gets the glory? You see, an indicator to see if we are self-reliant is in these moments when these things happen. Am I getting the glory or is God getting the glory? And there's not one thing to go, I don't know, like it's all God, it's all God. Like, yeah, I did this, but it's all God. That's false humility. It's fully recognizing that I'm not worthy and I do not have what it takes to actually have this. It's a gift from God. Self reliance refuses to accept that all of us are like beggars who live off of God's charity. I said that to Robin and she said, That's offensive. I said, Good supposed to be offensive. Because we don't want to see ourselves as beggars. We don't want to see ourselves that we don't have what it takes. We want to see ourselves as people who, it's fine, like like I've got what it takes. Like I dressed smart today. Like I know what I'm doing. Like I know I'm not a 10 out of 10, but I'm a 9.9. Self-reliance leaves no room for God and says that it's all about me. In Luke 7, Jesus sits down, with the Pharisee a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home and as they're sitting down an immoral woman hears an immoral woman basically a lady who was who had sexually sinned and she hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house so she goes over to the Pharisee's house and sits behind Jesus's feet and as she's behind his feet she begins crying and she begins crying onto his feet and wiping Jesus feet with her tears And then she takes her hair and she cleans Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And then she begins to kiss his feet. And as she kisses his feet, she takes this really expensive ointment and perfume and she pours it over Jesus' feet and she anoints his feet. Beautiful moment. The self-righteous Pharisee is sitting on the head of the table and says, that's disgusting. Like Jesus, if you knew what this woman has done, you would not let her touch you. And Jesus says, Let me ask you a question. He says, If a man has two people that owe him a debt, and the one owes him greater than the other, but the man chooses to forgive both of these people, Jesus asks the Pharisee, Who do you think will love the master more? And the Pharisee says, Well, surely the person who was forgiven the greater debt is the one who will love the master more. And Jesus says, That's right. And then he turns to the woman. Now we can put it up. He turns to the woman and he says, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, although they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men are astounded at the table saying, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Self reliance fails to recognize what Christ has accomplished to win our salvation. Self surrender wonderfully recognizes that what Jesus has done, I could never do. Do you see the difference? Self surrender understands that what Jesus has done for me, I could never do that if I had a thousand lifetimes. Self-reliance looks at the cross of Christ and doesn't think that it is enough. To some degree, we all worship ourselves. So I want to take a moment to pause. At what degree is your life all about you? To what degree have you become wrapped up in the culture of me, enslaved to your desires? To what degree have you become so self reliant that you are the answer to your own problem? The question we land with is how do we respond to the idol of self? How do I redirect my worship to God and away from myself? How do I rid myself? Of the idol of self. There's three ways that we respond. Firstly, true worship requires divine heart surgery. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For a, a man in his good treasure brings forth good, but a man in his evil treasure brings forth evil. Look into your heart. What is your treasure? And if it's not Christ, you cannot worship God fully for who you have been created to worship him like if your treasure is not Christ. Christ died and rose again to set us free from our sinful desires. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I who now live, live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It is the heart that has been won by Christ that can truly worship the Father. This is the Christian gospel. This is the second way we can respond to the idol of the self. And this is my favorite one. Get off of the stage. (laughs) I'm not going to get off the stage, but you know what I mean. Get off of the center of the stage. Get off the culture of me mindset. It's not about you. The desire we have to be center stage and have the world revolve around us only wreaks havoc and only brings problems because it's not the way that we were created. Friends, the gifting and skills and passions that we have have been gifted to us by God so that we would use them to glorify Him, so that in our life Christ would be put on display for the world to see, for the world to see Him reflected in us, not to see how great We are. The greatest joy for a Christian is found when we give up our lives. It's Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. When we lay down our life for Christ, we find life. But when we keep our life and take hold of it, We actually lose life. Get off center stage. And lastly, you don't need more self-love. Every podcast, almost every secular podcast, is all about loving me better. Take care of yourself. And you see, while I agree it's biblical that we steward our bodies and look after ourselves, the message of love yourself goes so far that we become self-centered glory seekers. We just want to listen to a podcast that tells me how to become a better human being. How I can exonerate myself. How I can be so interested in me and my glory and become the best that I can be so people can see how great I am. You don't need more self-love. And you're probably thinking, but Jesus commands us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Yes, he does. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you go and find how to love yourself. He assumes you already do know how to love yourself. All of us in the room do not need a lesson on how we can follow our own desires to to be happy. We all know how to love ourselves very well. What we actually need to do to rid ourselves of the idol of self is to love God and then to love others as we love ourselves. The measure that we love ourselves should be the measure to which we love others. Your degree of how much good you seek for yourself should be the degree to which you seek the good of others. That's what Christ is saying when we are commanded to love others as we love ourselves. Can I call the band up, please? As we come to land the message this morning, I know that all of us are somewhere in this message. You've either become enslaved by your own desires Thinking I'm free. Graceful. You okay, Mix? You okay? She's okay. (laughs) At some point in this message, you've noticed that's me. I've become enslaved by my own desire. I've become obsessed with the culture of me. I'm so self-reliant that I don't actually feel like I need Jesus. And you see, as we process this, our response this morning is understanding this. If we are created to worship God, the one thing, the main thing, the most dangerous thing that can get in the way of worshiping Him is me. Is me. Can you stand with me? our response this morning is to bring ourselves before God and and repent to actually say these self-obsessed desires of mine my self-reliance my obsession with me and making me happy God I bring that before you and I lay it down and I repent of that See, God's not snapping his fingers at us this morning saying, Jeepers, it's taken you so long to realize it was all about me. He's not an egomaniac waiting for us to find out that it's all about him. He does not need us to point the glory to him. We need us to point the glory to him. Otherwise, we will continue to see the idol of self wreak havoc in our lives. True fulfillment, true freedom. And true satisfaction is found when you realize it's not about you. And you come before Christ and you lay it down. I'll land with this. Paul says, If anyone has any more reason to boast and put confidence in the flesh, he says, I do. And he lists this amazing list of why Paul's like the greatest Pharisee of the New Testament. And he says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. You see, when we come to the cross, you have to come empty-handed. Because if there was anything of our own strength that could save us, Christ would not have come. But the cross reveals to us that we do not have what it takes, that the desires of our heart will only lead us astray, that the idol of self is going to wreak havoc in our life. But thanks be to God. Who sends his son that we would be set free from wanting to rule ourselves that we would come into alignment with the Creator and worship him can I ask us to put the house lights a little bit down so before we go into worship I want to lead you in response and repentance because I don't believe that maybe one or two of us today are struggling with this I struggle with this friends So I want to ask you to close your eyes. If you're comfortable, stretch out your hands. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. God, we come before you this morning reminded that we are created to worship you and you alone. That we are not created for the culture of me. God, we repent of our desire to be the gods of ourselves. We repent of thinking that we know better we repent of ruling ourselves and handing ourselves over to our own desires God we want to worship you truly the stage is yours we bring ourselves before you and we remind ourselves that it's all about you God I'm sorry the ways that I've made my life about me thank you that you take care of me you provide all that I need all I need to do God is worship you to praise you that my life would be a glory megaphone directed at heaven God I pray for us that as we meet with you now in worship would you do business in our hearts Would divine surgery take place to remove the idol of self and be filled with the knowledge and the grace of Christ? In Jesus' name we pray.